This is the Music Buzz Podcast. Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz Podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dan Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz Podcast. I'm Andy Wilson along with Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hey, Andy. How are you today? I'm good. And also Hugh Syme. How's it going, Hugh? I'm doing well. Thank you, Andrew. And you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. Yeah. Today we're joined by Corey Larios and David Jenkins. Both are founding and current members of the legendary San Francisco band Pablo Cruz. From 1975 to 85, the band toured U.S., Canada, and Japan extensively, reaching the top 10 with mega-hit classic songs like What You Gonna Do, Love Will Find a Way, and several other top 20 songs. The band went on to sell several million albums worldwide and singles collectively and established themselves as well-respected writers, performers within the industry. Fast forward 20 years, in 2005, a reunited band picked up where they left off, and today the band performs all over the world, primarily U.S. and Canada, and enjoying it now more than ever. We're also going to jump into David and Corey's other projects and other things that they've done in their careers, as well as their new song, Breathe. So welcome to the Music Buzz, Corey and David. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Likewise. Sure glad you guys are here. We're glad to be anywhere. Right. Any of us at this point. Well, I'd like to start with what I usually do is uh, got, kind of go over some songs that I, I always do a little deep dive in uh, in an artist's uh, repertoire. And I pick some songs that I think, not always the songs that everybody knows, but I picked five of yours that really kind of spoke to me as, as a musician and a listener that some of them maybe people don't know that much about, but we like to encourage listeners to, you know, to do a deep dive in, into somebody's catalog. And uh, so I really love your first record, and I remember hearing it. A buddy of mine had it. I had your second record, but the first record. Um, so Look to the Sky, and I remembered it as soon as I heard it. It reminded me then and now a little bit of like, like a great Glenn Campbell classic, which what could be better kudos than that very cool song loved it yeah, that that came out of bud cockerel uh his countryside and bud had a lot of country in him sure with the beautiful strings too you know mm -hmm. yeah it yeah. was definitely a country lean wasn't that on, that that was that on our, our second album lifeline the one where you guys are <laughs> naked in the water that's their second album. Oh, okay. Lifeline. Just on that note, I've got to say, I've, I've observed that throughout the 70s, there was kind of a trend. Orleans, Prince, the Allman Brothers in the Creek, Peter Frampton, they all went shirtless. So That was the photographer Norman Seif, and that was kind of his thing. Norman did Yeah, it. he used to work with Norman's assistant, Cameron. Okay, yeah. So that was kind of a trademark thing in Orleans, yeah, for sure. I don't know who else did it, but 
but uh, yeah it works it worked i yeah. remember the cover very well so anyway back to my five there's the first one i love that song people if you guys if you if our listeners haven't heard it check out look to the sky zero to 60 and five okay some killer classical piano um cory on that and then the way it does that intro and then hops into the up-tempo section great playing production the strings again and dave what a great solo man very tasteful well what everything's really well thought out in that song thought out is the key word because i remember Corey and i going back and forth i forget what studio sir or some studio might have been a and m well of course we were trying to we actually thought we could you know squeeze a vocal and a lyric into that thing and it's just then once we got the instrumental going and the, the strings were done by david campbell who's actually best yeah 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 Oh wow! And, uh, those were some of the best sessions. They were unbelievable. That, that that zero to sixty session for us was on New Year's Eve, nineteen seventy six. Oh wow! It was, it was unbelievable. The, that I'll never forget it because it was such a great session. I mean, this the orchestra was just perfect. Oh yeah, you can tell, man. I love his arrangements and the piano sound on that record too. Just the the you know the the grand piano is fantastic. And the song Crystal, that could be an Elton John classic. That's how good that song is to my ear, melodically and harmonically. Yeah. Uh, very cool song. Never Had a Love Like This. That's a great one, man. I'd, I'd never heard that one before. Hadn't heard that. Huh. The 50s kind of piano thing. Then the cool guitar arpeggio that goes on top of that. We segued out of another song. Or in, we segued from another song into that, right? It starts right on that 50s kind of gunk, 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 you know. Yeah. Whatever you'd call that. Notes, yeah. I was hearing on that gunk, 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 gunk note, I was hearing kind of the a super tramp kind of vibe. And in the middle where you do the breakdown, there's definitely kind of a Van Dyke Parks, Brian Wilson thing going on. And I don't mean this to sound like we're comparing you to, but it's anything but uh, but flattery and good news to say that you hear Steely Dan and oh, the Doobies. Sure. Well, we became very popular ripping off other people. That was our whole deal. Everybody <laughs> does, don't they? In their hey, own way. Their own. <laughs> like, you know, back then, in, in that period, the eighth note piano was like, it was in every record. It was like, you know, everybody had that eighth note. That's true. And somewhere in there, there was Pablo Cruz. What there was, was that's what I was going to say. That was my next sentence that I'd written down. But still, <laughs> of course, sounds like Pablo Cruz. It really does. Yeah. I always thought it was a great song. You know? It's a great I, song. And then my last one I'm going to pick is, everybody knows it, Love Will Find a Way. Such a great chord changes when it goes to the B section into the chorus. It's like, to me, and here we go with another band comparison, but like a more commercial Steely Dan. And again, perfectly executed musicianship. So, thank you. Very nice work. Everybody needs to do a deep dive on these guys and you won't be disappointed. Your vocals as a band were stunning. Uh, I'm curious to know, since I've never seen you live, I know from being in a very vocal-centric band that it's great to be in the studio and to get the, the vocals right, but how many people sung in your band live and how well did you pull that off as a band do you think Corey and i sang and then our bass player right. whoever the bass player was at the time either bud or bruce yeah both bud was a great singer i mean to answer that question i mean we were always pretty spot on live with as a trio it was a quartet but three of us sang and so yeah. the harmony yeah but but today we, we've added a, a fifth member who who, who was really primarily a, a singer along with the rest of us. And, our, and I really think our vocals are probably better than they ever were in our, our life. Nice. We don't, we don't use tracks or anything. And 
we good just, but it just it it just it's a great blend of uh you know the, the four of us and and yeah our bass player is a true tenor and he just can he covers all those high parts and it's really it's really it's fun because when we do sound checks there's a couple sound checks we do a couple songs we you know uh try out the vocals and get the blend and everything and and it's it's always pretty spot on you know yeah before we go out to for the show we always have the acoustic guitar backstage and we run through choruses on several yeah. songs just to get our acoustic blend in the room on this show we've talked to some other uh some other guests from san francisco the bay area we talked to bill from huey lewis in the news and talked to members of the grateful dead etc so take us back guys to to when the band formed and what was the scene like for you guys because every time we talk to somebody from the bay area we're like whoa you hung out with them you know it's, so it's uh tell us your story from from uh your experience growing up in that scene in that area and, and uh, putting the band together to that point, uh, there was a lot, a lot of camaraderie amongst musicians in San Francisco at the time. I mean, it was a, first of all, everybody was banging around the same clubs. We were either in Berkeley or we were either in the city or down Palo Alto, and, and so everybody was crossing paths as as bands were starting out and building, you know, building their repertoire and whatnot. Um, but it, it was uh, it was an amazing time. I mean, Dave mentioned Studio Instrument Rentals. I mean, that was like old old home week every day when we went there. You didn't know who was going to be in there. I mean, Santana was there, the Journey guys or Niels was there. Everybody was in rehearsing, and uh, it was it was really really a lot of energy and just just a great great time. Um, when we formed the band, we we uh, we were. To back up, I was in a band called Stoneground, which was a which was a. Ah, uh, uh, I remember that band. The singer from uh, the Bo Brummels was in that band. Exactly. Yeah. So eventually, Dave ended up in that band, and then that's how we powwowed and said, like, you know, because it was it honestly all due respect to the band, but it was the most out of tune band known to man. <laughs> it was it was eleven. There were eleven people in the band. We had four. oh god. At least you had to claim the fame. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There were four girl singers, and none of them liked each other either, which was always fun. You know, we get on stage Ooh. and they'd have cat fights. You know. And and uh, so we we that's where we kind of said you know we got to do something else and that's when we we our drummer Steve Price was also in Stone Ground so the three of us you know peeled the band peeled off from that band and uh, huh. you know started started woodshedding with Pablo Cruz and or it wasn't Pablo Cruz at the time but and I had met Bud Cockrell uh, he was in a band called It's a Beautiful Day oh yeah great band he was married to the lead singer, Patty Santos. So Dave and I got Bud and, and we, the four of us went up to Washington, Vancouver, Washington, and we just witched it. We got, this guy liked us, gave us a, a club to work in. We played four hours a night and we just made, made stuff up. We didn't, we didn't right. really have a repertoire. We had a set list of about four songs. And the rest of the night, we, <laughs> played we had to play it. It was like four hours. We yeah. played four hours. That's yeah. great though. So did you do one together. song an hour or did you do the four songs back then? I'm just kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I mean, we just dragged those things out and, you know, and then the, we kept coming up with riffs, David, have a guitar riff and we'd all kick in. It was like a jam band, you know, terrifying when we go, we were there for three weeks and when we came back, it was like, what the fuck are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. But uh, Good for you guys. So I got to ask. You know, looking, we, we, Hugh made the reference of uh, album covers from the 70s, but, 
you know, there's so many bands from that era, Steely Dan, Pink Floyd, Leonard Skinner, Marshall Tucker, Jethro Tull, that, you know, over the years, there's always been that joke of which one's Jethro or which one's Pink, right? So you guys fall into that category because I had one of my sons, I mentioned, I was, we were talking to you guys and he's like, is that a guy or is it a band? <laughs> I said, it's a band, but to tell, tell us Tom where the Cruise's name is, brother. Yeah. yeah. Where the name, where'd the name come from? If you guys could tell that story for our listeners, it'd be great. It's a pretty simple story. I mean, it was a nickname of a friend um, in, in when I was in college. I knew this guy was from Columbia, uh, amazing guy, very, very bright individual. And, uh, you know, it was just sort of a nickname that, you know, we coined for, for him. His name, his real name was Joaquin Villegas. And his history would take up this whole show, but he's a remarkable guy. And so... We, he was just, he, he was, uh, he graduated from high school. He was in college when he was 16, a really smart guy. Wow. And, uh, and, and also just, a, he was a, a photographer and an artist and whatnot. So he just, just threw it in the hat, you know, with other names. But to your point of Je all the, there was Fleetwood Mac and Jeff Rutal and all these bands. So it kind of made some sense to throw it in there. And, sure. and so we went with That's it. That's great. But we took a huge break, you know. So I always joke that people don't know Pablo Cruz is a chef or a band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally. In interviews that we did, you know, there were four of us. So like even on the Dinah Shore show one time, she, uh, which one's yeah. Pablo? And we said, it's the one in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> four guys <laughs> no, but now great. we have five guys so we can't really use that joke yeah, okay, right. use that one anymore. One in the middle hmm. so tell us about the new song breathe i listened to it a few times it's great it's a great tune so tell us a little bit about that and some of the the more recent stuff you guys have been working that about. song came about over covid over everybody being locked down you know everyone's living in fear and body condoms and masks you know and and uh but we we got together mainly on Skype, didn't we, Corey? And there was a lot of there was a lot of Skype sessions, not a lot, but a couple to write the song, and then we we did parts in in our different studios. Yeah, we sent them to Corey, and yeah, it wasn't exactly. We went into a studio and cut it, and it was just sort of it, it was miraculous how it got done because it was just it came in pieces and whatnot. But the but the irony was as soon as I, I remember being in, in the studio mixing it and uh, it was right when George Floyd said I can't breathe. Yeah. Oh God. wow. My wife walks in and she goes, Well, that takes care of that song. Mm -hmm. You know, because it was just the time was horrible. You know, yeah. We're, sure. we're talking about how great it'd be to breathe and and then that it was it was amazing timing. Huh. You know, so we waited, you know, and I think Dave who did you talk to about it? Well, I talked to a friend of mine up here who's a mayor and one of the mayors in Marin County and I said, Marty, when do you think is going to be a good time to release this song? He said, a hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> but we were very concerned and we, you know, we, sure. we, we, we had, it was, Understandable. It was just a, uh, you know, an innocent coincidence is what it was, but we waited, we waited for a while. And then actually there were other things, other things that came out, you know, alluding to breathe and all that. So we, well, the whole, the whole pandemic was, a, was about the challenge, the potential of losing your breath and so on. So it, it's much more of cosmic, than that one sad and tragic incident. You mentioned uh, doing work on Skype as being kind of a, a product of being in lockdown because of Pro Tools and because of how available musicians haven't always been to each other for the last decade or so. Have you guys always done your best work sitting in the room and writing together or have you 
long been doing long distance uh, track sharing. I think our most effective work as far as Corey and I as a writing team was definitely paired up together in the same room. Yeah. You know, working on stuff. Yeah. I mean, we, in the early days, man, we, it wasn't a, wasn't so much a job, but we treated it that way. Mm -hmm. And, and it was just for the desire to, to do it. Yep. We spent every day writing and, and recording and, but it just seemed like the right thing to do. And, um, it wasn't, I don't know. It, it, it wasn't so much a job, but we did go after it on those hours. You know? It sounds a little bit like the get back a scenario where you understand that Paul and John had a great time doing what they're doing, but they also knew collectively that their responsibility was to raise the bar every time. What a fun way to do it, eh? Well, yeah, I think a producer tells one of our producers said, you know, uh, it'll be so exciting for you guys when you get your first hit. And he said, then, then you got to come up with a second one. <laughs> mm. And so the, the, you know, because the first one's kind of magical, you know, you know, even though you, you, you know, you, you're aspiring to get a song on the radio when you actually, yeah. do, when a song actually moves into the top five and you're like, Holy shit, everywhere you are in the country yeah. song. And then it's like, so now what, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Corey, I, I as a fellow keyboardist, uh, myself, it's not lost on me how accomplished your chops are. Where did that come from? Were you conservatory trained or were you just really good? Did you just have a good ear? Well, no, I took a lot of lessons. I mean, I started taking lessons when I was six and I'd start and stop and quit and whatever. But I kind of just honed my own, you know, style of playing. And I'm a terrible studio musician, really. It's it's. But you're inventive on the spot, yeah? Pretty much, I, I I have to admit, there's I, I I sit down every morning and play, and a lot of times I don't even record it or whatever. And you know, you, you know, it's like it's you know, it just can be just a sixteenth of a note off. Yeah, and, and you can't get back to it. You think, oh, I know what I played, I know what I played, and you go back and it's just yeah, something about it, different thing, something about that second, which is why I love having my iPhone and be able to record because I can, you know, record the moment, you know, if I'm, yeah, if sure. I'm ready. But yeah, yeah, I took lessons. I I, I took lessons, and I, and I was a terrible student, and um, but mostly just inventive. I mean, I've always been able to come up with a. When did it become evident to you that with all the cool drummers and cool guitar players out there, when did it become cool to be a piano player? Uh, I'm going to presume Elton John or George Martin. Elton and Leon Russell. And, yeah. I, mean, I used to listen to Leon like you know till. I mean that that guy was so great, and he was amazing. And, no and, and Elton, you know, just for the the the, the sheer pop, but just amazing. I mean, it's his what a writer. I mean, yeah, uh, a lovely piano player. And, too. I, and I like Billy Joel too. I think Billy was Billy's Billy's an incredible lyricist. And how about and, how how about Billy Payne? Did you ever get yeah. into him? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, last time we saw him, he was playing with the Doobies, right, Dave? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that guy's a monster. Yeah, he is. You know, Corey mentioned that he's he doesn't feel like he's a great studio, particularly studio musician, but what he is is a stylist. And there's not, I don't know of anybody that has a style as, as ah. marked and strong as his. Oh, Dave. It's carried through our <laughs> records. It's carried through our records and, and also into his yeah, personal right. work with TV and um that stuff because he's he, he's really he's really what I would consider a composer. 
Well, Dave, I would say the same thing about your guitar solos. Oh, thanks. I would put them up there with any of the guitar solos on the Asia record. Yeah, it's funny you uh, say By Steely Dan Asia, oh. not the band Asia. It's funny me. you say that. I was hearing Denny Diaz and Santana yeah. in your playing just today. I was thinking, God, this wow. guy's got chops. What's amazing about Dave is that, I mean, we play, we're still playing, and, and he, he tops those solos exact. Now, before, before you guys jumped on the call and to David's point about Corey, so we were looking over your resume, uh, Corey, so if your ears were burning, and uh, you're an Emmy Award winning, um, you're in, you've won Emmy Awards. I mean, and you've also done, correct me if I'm wrong, like you said, like, well, right, I'm sorry, but but 300 plus episodes of Baywatch, I mean, your music's probably heard by any by, by more than anybody else in the world because isn't that show like seen all over the world all the time? <laughs> I mean, it it actually made the Guinness Book of World Records as as the most watched TV show in history. Wow. And, and you wow, know what's man. interesting about it is it's it's still we we just redid all of the songs because they they bought all these huge records, you know. Right. Uh, in fact, John. Mellencamp, I mean, just really expensive records when they were making the show. We had Beach Boys and Eagles and all these bands, but they were like six-year licenses. So, uh, so the app, they were long enough to keep the show went on for 12 years, you know, um, but after that, it, they couldn't put it out. They couldn't make because of these songs. So we redid the song. So my, the, the cool part is the song, the show was re-released couple of years ago and it's back on like it's one of still huge it's like in 150 countries right and uh, we always joke about it we always say look we did two 250 episodes with three scripts yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's good but lots of nice looking I can oh, man, it was it was yeah. a dream day to work on it because you know you well, yeah. night and you've got pam running down the beach in slow motion yeah. how bad could that be well, I but, can uh, I can attest to that. In 2020, my wife and I we adopted a little girl from Bulgaria, and I was over there flipping through the channels, and there was like 12 channels that worked, and I, none of them were were English channels except for CNN. And by golly, I was scrolling through there, and uh, there was Baywatch. I was like, oh, there it is. <laughs> of course, it's on. Yeah, it was uh, it was a gift, man. The the way it happened. I mean, it just. Well, so you say that they came out again. Now, did you replace those yeah, songs with other did. songs? Or? Yeah. I, oh, I, so I um, executive produced four hundred songs, mm, and we wow. did it like in ninety in, in just a little over a year and a half. Wow! Wow! Every single song that was on a montage, we sent to. We had a huge group of writers. Yeah, we got a bunch of young writers to work on it, and every single song that had a montage, every every montage that had a song, we sent that to a writer and said, you can't get parked close to this, but write something that has this spirit. Ah, okay. So you weren't doing covers of the original. You were actually emulating as... as all new original stuff, but there were some great writers, some great, great guys that, you know, that jumped in, some really seasoned writers. Uh, nice. One, one of the... Uh, my favorites is J.R. Richards from Dishwalla. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jr. is like you know he's a great singer and you know he was just cranking them out. Everybody was enjoying working on it. The timing was good too because things had gotten really sluggish in the business, so it was an opportunity. Nice, that's interesting. As a piano player, have you ever done uh, string arrangements? Even if you worked with a, a contractor or a, someone to, to do the notation, 
Have you ever done a full-on string arrangement? Yeah, I worked work with, a, with a composer named Chris Boardman who did orchestrations for me. And I did the first, actually, the first movie. I did a movie called One Crazy Summer. Mm-hmm. And that was, we had a 60-piece orchestra. How did you approach that? Did you just put down like, like keyboard and... I mopped it all up. I mopped up, you know, the tracks and everything. And this is yeah. back in the archaic days. I did it, used a, a Lin 9000. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. As the main... Wow box to sequence there and then i used the sinclair i see but, um but yeah chris took it all and blew it up nice you know mm. um but uh it's there's so much more technology now that we can work with to do that yeah and such good samples unbelievable yeah yeah i mean really the, the amount of the, the, i mean all in one little box and it's really really fascinating it's yeah it's stunning that's awesome. And I know, David, during those years where you guys weren't together as well, you had, had a country project. You had, like, I think. Southern um, Pacific. Yeah, yeah. Southern, that, Southern Pacific. Yeah. And then um, what's the guy's name in Hawaii? You did some stuff with it. What's his name? Kapono Beamer, who's a pretty much a favorite son. Hawaii. Him and his brother had a, yeah, one of the awesome. biggest records of all time there. Yeah, that was one of my favorite projects of my life because I got to stay over. I wasn't really getting along with my ex-wife at the time. So I'd say, I got to go to Hawaii to write with Capono, and I'd be gone for a month. Nice. Know? Yeah. <laughs> we stretched Good the writing out over four years. <laughs> I'll be back in four years, hon. We'll <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and it was surfing every morning and then recording and writing all that. Uh, sounds horrible. Like, Damn. Who were your influences, Dave? Uh, There's got to be a few that jumped to the head. Yeah, I mean, too many to list, but I mean, um, every as wide as, as Marvin Gaye and... Uh, and all the way to um, Sons of the Pioneers. I mean, I love all kinds of music, and I, I, I've listened to everything. And, you know, the early days of playing guitar, from Dylan to Clapton, mm-hmm. I used to listen to Clapton a lot, and that Blues Breaker album was one of my favorites. And um, mm-hmm. Vino cover, yeah. Yeah, right. But all, all kinds of influences, you know. That's awesome. I, I, too many to try to... We always we always like to ask guests what was the first paid concert that they went to as a fan. Can you guys tell us uh, who that was? Yeah, I remember mine was at the Cow Palace, uh, the Beach Boys and Love and Spoon. Oh, nice! Wow, John Sebastian's a buddy of mine. Oh, he, he played is? on my last record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how's he doing? Is he still singing? Yeah, he just put a new record out with Arlen Roth, where he revisits the Spoonful catalog. Oh. <clears throat> so yeah, he wrote some you know he mainly is you know still playing harmonica and, and i love that guy i think that guy was, yeah, he was great he was a brilliant and it's what well, i'm not saying he was he's getting some nice licenses with some of that he sure is i he's all over the tv right now do you believe in magic yeah and, yeah what a, what he's such a sweet guy i mean i literally contacted him i did a record called uh songs from isolation it's a full full record that came out in august of 2020 and about the third song and we got in usa today right off the bat so it was kind of it was started rolling and i had nothing else to do for four months so kept me busy and we did it long distance just like you guys did and anyway i contacted his manager and said i'm going to do a version of uh one of john's songs he did a cover of sitting in limbo i would wonder if he want to play harmonica on it 15 minutes later I had an email from John saying, hey, here's my cell phone and here's my home phone. Give me a shout. I'd love to. So what about you, Corey? First paid gig as a fan. or well, not gig, but first concert. CTA, Chicago Transit. Oh, nice. 
Yeah, nice. I saw him at the cemetery uh, at the uh, San Jose Fairgrounds, and you know what's funny is D- Danny Seraphin works out at my gym. Okay, really. Cool. <laughs> and we were talking about he's actually not he's he ended up with the name CTA, so he goes out as he's the he was the drummer, right in Chicago. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those guys are all around. They all live around out here where I live. Okay. Yeah, we talked to Lee on the podcast last year, actually. The trumpet trumpet player. Yeah. Was great. That first record was just was fantastic. Record. Just burned a hole in that album, you know. Where was that show at? It was at the San Jose uh, County Fairgrounds. Okay, cool. Nice. Yeah. And Dave, I got I want to go back just a second. So how good were the Love and Spoonful that night when you saw them? Oh, they were just incredible. I mean, it was it was letter perfect, you know. Yeah. And and it was one of those shows where you really couldn't take your eyes off the stage. Sure. You know, I believe it. For, for them and the Beach Boys. And it seems to me there was somebody else on that show, but I can't remember who it was. I mean, I was 17 then. So that was what, 65, 66, probably? Yeah, 66. Okay. Zal was still playing the guitar. Oh, yeah. The oh, original yeah. band. Yeah. Very cool. That was the original guys. That's awesome. Man. And, you know, and Brian Wilson was still in the Beach Boys. I was in a band in the 70s. We had the dubious distinction of opening for the Beach Boys, which was a delight because I was a huge fan of theirs, Pet Sounds particularly. But yeah, Denny was, Denny was still with them. Brian was kind of barely with them. He was just coming out of his dark days. But it was fabulous to be sharing the stage with such amazing people. Oh, yeah, they made some records, yeah. boy. I mean, Brian was... Oh, mm, no kidding. The, the vocal arrangements on those records is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So how long was the Southern Pacific band? How long were you? Well, I was with those guys for a couple of years, one album and a couple of years. Okay. It was a very consistent, very quality show night after night. I mean, we had it down to where the comments between the songs were the same. Mm. Everything was identical, but it worked. Yeah. You know? And the playing was real good. Oh, I'm sure. You know, the shows like that are, are, you know, people don't know unless they would follow you Grateful Dead style. So it doesn't, you know, it's okay to have that you know when you're going to come into the next song that way. You know? Oh, yeah. So That's one of the things about watching YouTube and watching people in interviews because never before have artists been so available and so ubiquitous in the media. So when you watch McCartney give an interview or tell a story and then he does another interview and yet another, there's no question he, he hearkens back to some of the same stuff. You, know, you mentioned The Grateful Dead. When I came out to California in 1966, the first person I met in California was a guy named Leonard Hart and he owned a music store in San Carlos and he gave me a one minute audition. He asked me if I could teach. I was 17. I said, sure, I could teach. I've been playing for about a year and he ran me through a one minute audition. He said, fine, start tomorrow. You can move in with Mickey. Well, that was Mickey Hart's dad. So Mickey and I had a one bedroom apartment in San Carlos and Mickey taught drums and I taught guitar and we sold Japanese import guitars in the store, real crappy stuff. But it got better and better later. But cool. Yeah, that's how far I go back with it. And that's before the, he wasn't in the dead until yeah. no, he wasn't in a the couple dead. years later. And then I think wasn't it kind of sour grapes with them with the father too at some point? Yeah, that turned pretty messy. Yeah, he really didn't like his dad at that point. Yeah. So uh, speaking of other San Francisco bands, I, I was involved with a band and still am kind of. I produced a record for these guys, Moby Grape. You remember those guys? Did or you ever see those my guys? My favorite live? San Francisco band. They were my, Jerry Miller was my favorite. Jerry Miller's my guitar, man. Idol guy. Yeah. Well, yeah. he'll be glad to hear that because I, I I check in with Jerry from time to time. Oh, you do? Tell him I said hi. We know each other, you know, sort of. Sure. Man, is he not the coolest, sweetest guy? And Don Stevenson too, the drummer was. I mean. 
He's an amazing singer, but an amazing band. Yeah, they were they were my favorite. I'm a big fan, big movie, great fan for sure. When I was working at Heart Music Company in '66 and '67, those guys were the first band I met because they used to come in. Don would come in for sticks. Jerry would come in, you know, strings and stuff. And I don't think I met Skip Spence at that time. He may have come in, but it was mainly Don and 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 Jerry, and then. I don't know. It was just that turned into my favorite band. It's still my favorite band. So good. Yeah, man. Very cool. That's neat that you knew them way back then. <laughs> Small cool. world. Yeah. How about the airplane dudes? Did you ever run into those guys back in the day? Yes and no. I I was so high on acid. I don't remember it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, they were too. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> right around the yeah. corner from me in Palo Alto. Really? Yeah. And you know that that period of time. This is like this is the. The uh, 60s, I mean, you'd see, I mean, first of all, Palo Alto was also another hub for a lot of musicians, especially the dead. Like, you'd, you know, down University Avenue, you'd see Jerry Garcia and all those guys just walking around. Yep. And, and they, you know, they were certainly out of place at the time. But, you know, Palo Alto was, was pretty forward and still is a real forward th thinking town. But we just, we, we play with the starship we just play with the starship mm. just before COVID. Uh, who's left because paul passed away david freiberg oh okay from the quicksilver he's the only version. one left from the original band and then maybe okay. thomas has got jefferson just starship yeah mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. that's a great band i sang with the with the uh let's see i guess it was the jefferson starship i think it was the jefferson we i toured with them and that's when I met my first wife because she was dating Ron Nevison at the time, and uh, she was singing backups. And I and and I came into rehearsal one day just to say hi to the guys, and they said, "Hey, we need one more singer. You want to go out on tour with us for a short tour?" I said, "Sure." So then I got to know. Well, uh, so what year was that? Would that have been? My, uh, now ex, <laughs> Carolyn. <laughs> Sorry, it was like Seven. about eighty-five. Yeah, about eighty-five. About right. Oh, wow. But I mean, when we got married, Grace and Mickey both came to our wedding party. Cool. And uh, oh, yeah, we had we had quite a star-studded event. A couple guys yes. from Huey's band. I was in Stinson Beach. Yeah, I was at Stinson. Right. I remember that because a friend of mine from high school came and he brought this girl and she left early and she said, that's the most despicable group <laughs> of people I've ever met. Wow. <laughs> Hey. Nice. Well, we, were, we were just high, you know. <laughs> it, was it was rock and roll, people. We Come on. Yeah. It was, it was not despicable. Not, not, yeah, but you know, she was just, she was, you know. She well, was, you know what you uh, say. Is despicable in a good way or in a bad way? She's from the Amish country <laughs> yeah. or something. That's funny, man. <laughs> but I said, what, what happened to your girlfriend? He goes, she left. She couldn't handle me. Bailed. Oh, well. Well, you know what? I do have to jump, but I, if I can just uh, plug a little bit the guys in our band because we have a pretty great lineup. Of course, problem. yeah, go ahead, shoot. Yeah, you know, starting starting with our bass player Larry Antonino, who, um, if you ever saw that thing you do, the Tom Hanks movie, he was the Wolfman. Oh, okay, the yeah. They brought oh, in yeah, the great. sub bass player, but he's a phenomenal bass player, and he's played with everybody from Barry Manilow to Jeff nice. Morber to Jeff Beck, and. And he's been with us. He's been a huge, huge addition for Dave and I because he 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 really lays it down the way it should be done. Nice. And, uh, and then uh, it's I say recently, but he's been with us for three years now. Um, this guy who's uh, the guy that's covering a lot of the vocals for us right now is a guy named Robbie Wyckoff. And Robbie was out with um, 
the uh, wall tour doing all oh, the yeah. David Gilmore uh, I worked parts. on some of those shows. That was a ridiculous show. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't even a concert. Yeah. I'm sorry, but my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. He's got to have some pipes. So he's unbelievable. And, 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 you know, and then the la lastly, we, our drummer, original drummer had to take some, a leave for health reasons. And so we uh, were lucky enough to get Sergio Gonzalez, who was out with JLo and just played with a ton of people, wow. but this guy's nice. amazing too. So, but the best part is that we really all get along really well. I mean, we have a lot of fun. I think that, you know, it's, I, I say this, I mean, Dave might, play some golf but i say we i don't play golf so when we go out that's our golf game that you know it's sure fives but it's a hell of a it's game. so important for a band to get along in you know well, you know I, I have to say that i don't think i mean i don't think that we would do it i know i wouldn't do it. i don't think david do it and david and i always joke or i joke i say you know we've forgotten mm -hmm. what we don't like about <laughs> each other so you know <laughs> i like that truthfully i mean the last gig we played last saturday in las vegas and after the gig, we went to the, they had a suite for us with the food layout and stuff. And it was just the five guys in the band. And we hung there for an hour and a half, just talking. And, and I think there was a football game on and we just hung out and, and we really do get on well. It's really something. Well, but I just wanted to kind of throw that out because we're very proud of the band. And, and I, the fact that Dave and I, after all these years, can go back and revisit that repertoire because there's stories, obviously, behind all of it. And so it's a gift, you know, at this point in life. We really appreciate you guys joining us today. Thank you so much. Yeah. Great meeting you both. Very cool to talk to you guys. Thank you, guys. Take care. Our pleasure, man. Really fun. Everybody, be safe. All the best. See everybody later. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. So long. Bye-bye. Peace. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye -bye. Cheers.